I'm Kevin Bachman. On this episode of Background Check Radio, we're tackling runaway inflation, how suppliers intend to address it with CRAs, and why their responses might surprise you. Stick around. What you'll hear today is a webinar my IQ Advisors partner Jason Morris and I did a few weeks back. We conducted a study of about a dozen CRAs, uh, interviewed them, uh, and and these CRAs represented a significant part of the screening industry. Uh, Revenue was well over 50% of the space. Uh, We anticipate and have seen suppliers raising prices the last couple months, and we were curious in how quote-unquote accepting employment screening companies would be of those costs being passed along. I also offered insight into the big three, Sterling, First Advantage, and HireRight, based on my analysis of their financial filings uh, and investor presentations as it pertained to this topic. Thanks for listening. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining the uh, latest iCubed webinar. We're talking about a study that we did uh, a few weeks ago, which we've been sharing with people within the industry. Really, really um, insightful approach that we took with this analysis. A lot of great ideas, a lot of great findings that we wanted to share with you guys. And, you know, essentially what we set out to learn was uh, how is inflation impacting our business? Uh, How is it impacting the supply chain? How is it impacting uh, our ability to run a business and make a profit? How is it impacting our end users' lives, you know, our employers that we serve on a day-to-day basis? So, you know, many of us have have heard Jason and I say what we love most about what we get to do is we can kind of stand on the outside and look inside our industry in a very non-competitive way and just provide insights and thought leadership and business advisory services to to those in our space. Um, We're not a threat to anybody. So a lot of doors uh, open for us pretty easily where we can kind of ask these questions of peers within the industry and and share in an aggregate form um, some of the findings that we have. So this was something that we undertook over the summer. We've been talking to a lot of people about it. Um, We've been selling this research and it's just really, really interesting. And we wanted to, to get on a webinar today and and share some of these thoughts with you. So my yeah. partner in crime, uh, Jason Morris. Yeah, Jason, hey, hop in. Hey everybody, how you doing? Um, excited to see everybody this weekend at uh, PBSA. I've got my Colorado hat on in anticipation. And uh, like Kevin said earlier, we'll be hosting a, a meet and greet at one o'clock at the sports bar uh, to say hello to everybody and uh, come into the conference. Um, pretty excited about this project. We've been working on this for about two or three months. You know, Kevin and I were sitting down and you know thinking about and hearing what's going on in the news with inflation and, and labor costs rising. And, you know, we just knew that it was going to hit this industry at a certain point. <clears throat> so we really wanted to go out there and, and ask people what they thought. Uh, mo- mostly so you guys can make better decisions. Um, there's going to be price increase decisions you're going to have to make on your clients and, 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 and stuff like that. So we felt it was a, a good way to arm you guys with, with appropriate information. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You want to do 30 seconds on, on who we are for some people that, uh, that there's a number of people here. This is their first webinar for yeah. us. So, <laughs> for those who don't know us, uh, uh, I'm Jason Morris. I've been in the background screening industry for, God, almost 27, 28 years. Uh, I'm alongside Kevin, uh, who's been with me and, and worked in partner of mine. Our part, we are partners in iCubed Advisory. Um, uh, we were at Employee Screen IQ together for many, many years. And really have our, our, our hand on the pulse, our fingers on the pulse of what's going on in the industry today. So some things that we focus on uh, here at iCube 
is, is number one, really, I'd say the number one thing that we do now is recruiting. Um, and we find top executives uh, for background screening companies. We focus only on the background screening industry. Uh, we're also doing a lot of M&A advisory, both from the buy side and sell side. So we've represented some uh, people looking to sell their CRAs and putting them together as a matchmaker with either private equity or, uh, or a uh, strategic uh, in the industry. Yeah. Uh, we do a lot of uh, scale and growth consulting, um, go to market, and uh, both of us do quite a bit of expert witness work as well. Yeah, that and that that last part certainly picking up. No shortage, unfortunately, of lawsuits um, in in our space. So uh, that's, that's a whole other that's we a whole other webinar. We should really do the top things <laughs> that we're hearing from attorneys yeah, that's on right. these lawsuits being filed. I mean, we're I'm getting I've doubled my caseload on expert witness work just in the last uh, sixty days. So um, quite a bit going on 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 the litigation side. Plaintiffs' counsel, as you all know, uh, is is very active and. I think those efforts have probably doubled or tripled since the pandemic because those things kind of like they're on hold for a while and these losses are just yes. being filed now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and by the way, as always, throw questions, comments, uh, jokes. You want to make fun of Jason, uh, have at it in the comment field, uh, even if it's not necessarily pertinent to our webinar, but we're all here now. If there's something you're interested in um, and we'll tackle on a future webinar, throw those thoughts in. Um, again, we, we love being in this industry. We love serving and helping. So nothing's really off, off the table. For us. All right. So as we look at our agenda today, right, you know, um, what we're going to start with is, is just kind of an overview of, of the screening space. I think it's really important we understand the, the size of the screening market. You know, we'll we'll share some insight into the different tiers, CRAs in our space and, and those that that we surveyed fall into. You know, we have really solid insight into you know four of the five largest companies in our space. And you know, as as we approach this, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll riff on this for a second. You know, if we think of our industry as a four to five billion dollar industry annually, and, and we can go round and round on those numbers, by the way. And I'm, I'm always happy to have that conversation because a, a lot of the numbers thrown about in our space, I think there's a healthy set of smoke and mirrors in them and that analysis. But if we think of the size of the industry, our research really covers about 60 percent of that, which I think is a really impressive number considering we're tracking about four to five hundred truly legitimate CRAs out there. Um, and even that number, that's mind boggling, right? It just a, a great reminder to all of us. The industry is not just who who, who will see this weekend at the, at the PBSA show. Uh, Jason, as you look at our agenda today, what are some of the things you're excited to talk about? Um, well, for sure, the results of the study. Uh, Kevin and I massaged these results for, for quite a long time and looked at them and tried to pull out different data points on them. Um, so I'm, I'm really just excited for everybody to kind of see the work that we've been doing on this. It's it's pretty simple. It's not a whole bunch of, of complicated data, but it's enough that I think that people can make effective decisions with. And also, you know, some clarity on, on why these prices, uh, price raises are, are happening uh, in some areas throughout the sector. So that, and then just to tell you uh, what we have coming up next, which I think is uh, some, some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, so you're right. As, as we pivot to the next slide here, and we think of you know the the, the major players um, that not only we have insight from, but um, the, the the marketplace as a whole. You know, there's there's a well uh, something that on previous webinars that, that we have talked about. Uh, the middle is getting sucked out of our space, right? We look at the companies that have been um, purchased or merged over over the last twelve to eighteen months. You know, there's five or six we can think of off the top of our heads that that are no longer and another five or six that Jason and I have insight in uh, that may follow them relatively quickly. So we're, we're kind of seeing in our space 
um, you, you know, like 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 the barbell approach, right? You have a lot of dollars and a, and a, and a, you know a few number of companies here, and then you have just this long tail, and the middle is really really being hollowed out. So one of the things when when Jason and I prepared for this, it's it's not necessarily super pertinent to our findings, but we just thought it was really interesting for everyone here in the audience to kind of see um, these different segments and, and tiers in our space, as well as hear that 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 insight of um, you know, the market is really. The, the, the middle of the market is, is quickly, quickly going away. And one thing that's kind of cool that you that you guys will see in the future, you know, for the last five or six years, uh, we, were, we were hired by somebody in private equity years ago to, to just track the industry and, and, and look and see how big each CRA is and where their sweet spot is, what platform they're on, like just a full analysis of all you know, four or 500 uh, pure background screening companies. And we've kept that up to date and we're going to be releasing that uh, probably, I don't know, we keep saying <laughs> next month, yeah. but it's going to be a couple of months. Um, and, you know, it, it really gives a lot of clarity from insiders as to what's happening within the industry. Um, every time you hear a report or see a report or look at the, uh, the, 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 the one report that was written by a bunch of um investors, they say it's a $6 billion industry or $7 billion industry or $3 billion industry. Well, I mean, I could tell you pretty confidently, most of those guys are wrong. Um, and, uh, you know, just through our research um, and, and, the, and the stuff that we put together, we've got a very clear uh, understanding of the entire uh, background screening space. Um, so we're excited to release that. We're not sure what format we're going to release it in. It will not be something we just release for free. Um, it, it'll be, uh, you know, probably fairly expensive report, but mostly geared towards investors in the space. Uh, but it's definitely something we'll be making available to everybody. Yeah. You, you said it maybe more eloquently than I did. I, I just called the smoke and mirrors. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, I think I said on a webinar like a year, year and a half ago, and we were talking about some of the publicly traded companies estimation of what post-hire screening will be specifically criminal monitoring. And I think it was estimated like, like post-hire screening alone to be 4 billion. And I said, if this industry ever does four billion in post-hire screening, I will run naked through the exhibit hall. <laughs> um, so maybe that's for reason enough for people to not want to buy it. Uh, okay, <laughs> pardon me. Okay, so let's let's dive into some of the things that we found here. Right um, on on the supply side, you know, most CRAs um, expect price increases. Very few had gotten one at the time of our analysis. We're we're hearing some on the ground chatter that that has changed for a number of them. But and that and that's um, aside from the work number, obviously. Yes, um, yes. We know yeah. that there was increases. Well said. There. Yeah, um, yeah. This is this is not work number specific. Everybody was like, "Hey, my you know my data providers." And if we look at you know the an, an, another area of research that we do is on the supply chain. So we've identified about fifty different suppliers in our field, um, and it it wasn't specific to just one or just two suppliers. They were like, "Hey, we know it's coming. We 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 just expect it." Um, Jason, what's what's kind of your take as as um, as as we talked to these companies and and looked at the publicly traded information? Was, was that a surprise to you? No, I mean, I we we kind of we we knew everybody's gonna have to react to the market. Um, it's a matter of timing. Uh, nobody wanted to be the first the first guy there with the increases. Um, but you know, since you know, since we released the re or since we finished the report, and since we did the surveys, um, you know, two months ago almost, um, we've heard of, of more increases. Um, but it's still not everybody. Um, but it's gonna catch up. It's got to catch up. I mean, you can't just hide behind. 
uh, wage increases this significantly and not at some point have to raise prices on, on your clients. And I'm talking from the supplier standpoint. So, yeah. you know, whether somebody's telling you they're not doing it or they're going to do it later, it, I mean, you got to, you got to plan on it happening um, because to do it right, you know, and, and do background screening right and do the court research right, you got to pay for it. Um, and we know that even the guys driving to the to the courts, their gas is more expensive. So we are going to start seeing those things across the board. It's just a matter of timing. Do, do you think for the last three to six months, everybody is just trying to grit their way through it? With I do. Without, without having to, yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, they, they nobody ever wants to have to raise prices on their clients. Um, and especially less sophisticated CRAs. Um, I think the, and we'll talk about this later on, the, the bigger CRAs, it's built into their contracts anyways, and, and they don't really have much of a problem doing it. Um, but it's the, you know, it's like we had, Kevin, you know, 10 years ago, and we talked about doing, uh, raising prices on a few of our products and, and even charging for things that um, we hadn't charged for in the past. It was the right thing to do, and whereas it, you know, it upset some people, um, the revenue grew because of it, and that's you know that's the goal of a company. So, um, yeah, that's my thought on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, and I'm excited in about 15, 20 minutes as as we really get into the how. You know, if it, if you think back to a slide or two ago, guys, when when you saw the agenda, you know, this this isn't just us regurgitating what your peers in the industry say. You know, there's there's a lot of how behind this. You know, if you want to do it. How do you do it? If others are doing it, how are they doing it? Where is it? Where do you win? And where are some common, you know, traps that people fall into? So we we tried to kind of outline some some real life practical solutions in conjunction with some of the findings that that we saw here. Um, what what was surprising to me, and and maybe not once I step back and thought of it, is how many people at the onset said. Yeah, I'm just going to take it. You're going to raise my prices. I expect you to maybe not a defeatist mentality, but the 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 overwhelming feedback we got was if a supplier raises prices on me, I'm going to take it and deal with it. Um so it it seemed like the feedback we heard um during our analysis was it was really two pronged. It was okay, I'm going to take it. But it doesn't mean I'm going to like it or deal with it forever. There will come a point in time where I, uh, you know, as that business owner or as that vendor manager, they will look at alternative options. So I I think for for the, the provider network, there really is an opportunity to get business in the space. What, what do you think, Jay? I, I totally do. I mean, the first thing that's going to happen on the supplier side is when prices are raised, um, people are going to shop. And we saw that. We saw that um, that was one of the people's first responses, but they also at the same time expected, you know, at least a 5% raise. That, but that doesn't mean they're not going to go look elsewhere. Uh, that was my biggest takeaway from that part of it. Yeah. And and I know we'll talk more about the how later, but we just had a comment come in. Somebody said, hey, we're a small CRA. We raised price a couple months ago. And nobody blinked an eye. And I loved that feedback. I, I love that comment, whoever submitted it. I am a huge price increase guy. Um, not because I'm trying to gouge people, but I absolutely think that there is a path to communicate um, a change in revenue. You know, you don't have to live by 2007 pricing forever in a way that allows you to run your business better and quite frankly, put some more money in your pocket. 
Like that is not a bad thing, especially as a business owner. It's okay to do. And one of the things that we find, and it's not specific to this analysis, but we talk about it a lot on other webinars. And um, um, I've done some podcasts on this through the Background Check Radio podcast. Like other people are raising prices. Like it's okay, guys, you can do it. So thank you for for whomever submitted that. Uh, Jason, one of the things that we tested, and if you want to kind of kind of share um, our findings with this, we tested if prices are raised on you, will you accept trade-offs to mitigate a price increase? Meaning options are teed up for you. Um, your search is going to take 30% longer, but I won't raise the price. Or the turnaround time is the same, but I got to raise the price. And we kind of teed that up to, to our, 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 our survey participants. And, and yeah. by and large, they said no. Yeah, the way I I framed the question was like, would you would you take a the same price, but instead of the researcher going to the court five days a week, they go three days a week to save money on gas or whatever that might be, and it was a resounding no. I mean, nobody's willing to to to, to trade anything off um, for any type of any anything less than they already have today. Yeah, and um, you you noticed this wasn't a specific thing that you tested. But before we dive into the labor costs, um, you you felt pretty passionate about that flawed logic, and and business owners kind of making some assumptions that might not work out in their their favor. Do you want to you want to share your thoughts on that real quickly? Uh, which flawed logic thing were you? I'm, the uh, the for the COVID bump forecasting. All right, yeah. So a lot of a lot of people were basing their their pricing volume on the last year or two years, which we've all been calling the COVID bump. Everybody's uh, volume was up. But that's artificial. It's totally artificial. We've seen that from every CRA we've talked to and, and every analysis we've done on every CRA, that that bump is certainly artificial. So by trying to ensure that your, um, your volume is going to stay the same or rise is definitely flawed because the, the market says differently. Yeah. And I, I thought that was, that was a great takeaway when we kind of looked at the results. Um, and, and maybe it factors in a bit that idea of, yeah, I'll take that five to 10% now um, because everything's good. Like the tide is high, boats are rising. Uh, maybe it's not that big a deal, but you know, businesses are cyclical. And um, I, you know, when, one of the things that I, that I think was pretty clear to us was, you know, if this were an economic downturn and companies, you know, providers came with that five to ten percent increase. Yeah, I think it'd be received a lot differently than in in today's climate. Um, Jason, you want to share your initial thoughts on on what we saw with labor costs? Yeah, I mean, this is pretty cool findings was, here. None of this was a surprise. Um, you know, wages are definitely going up. Every CRA that I talked to um, said that in order to keep uh, you know current employees and, and bring on new talent, uh, they were going to have to raise um, their their pricing. I'm sorry, their, uh, their, their wages. Um, you know, the floor used to be like 11 or $12 an hour. And that floor is, is much, much higher, especially on your line level employees. So we saw that across the board. We also saw the same thing with the suppliers in the industry. Um, their costs were going up. Their, their researcher costs are going up, especially those that um, employ researchers directly. Um, and then as such, you know, the, the costs for, um, you know, gas and everything else to, to get there. Uh, rose as well. Um, what we saw is also on the development side, the tech side, and this is we've seen outside the background screening industry, obviously, but it's costing a whole lot more to do uh, to do any type of tech work, any type of coding or programming. Those guys are 
I mean, I, I'm guessing, but I, I would say that their wages are 25 to 50% higher than they were even a year ago. Um, I've seen that with other businesses I'm involved in too. So, you know, that, that, that's the bread and butter of this business now. It's a lot of automation, um, a lot of uh, court research automation, lots of verification automation, just your whole back end and front end. Um, that all takes people that, that are now making a whole lot more money. And that's going to trickle down too. Yeah, it, it, and, and 30 to 40% on the wage side for, for development um, is, is what we reported out. And that was that was pretty striking. Um, and, and I don't think from the standpoint that the numbers surprised us, but that that hit CRAs really quickly. So while, you know, a data provider or a court runner like like we said earlier, everyone was expecting the price increases, but nobody had really gotten them yet. The wage increase like smacked everybody in the face yep. really quickly. And where we saw it most strikingly was organizations whose um, um, development team members were overseas, um, specifically in India, uh, specifically in the Ukraine. Now we know what's going on in the Ukraine for a couple of years, or I'm sorry, for the last two months. So, you know, I, I certainly think um, the the military invasion by Russia has, has kind of been gasoline on the fire of, of wage inflation, because not only um, are, are we dealing with, with rising labor costs around the globe, now our supply of, of um, possible employees is, is more limited. You know, they're protecting their homeland. Yeah, working on your development project. Um, yeah, and domestically, a things going the wrong way at the same time. Domestically, it's even. I think it's even worse. I mean, you know, especially on the non-data side. On, and I'll just say on your line level employees. I mean, I, I talked to companies that believed that that the fifteen dollar an hour floor was, you know, was good and competitive. And 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 to be brutally honest, it's not. Um, you know, if you tell somebody they can make fifteen dollars an hour sitting in front of their computer all day. Or they can make sixteen or eighteen dollars an hour driving for DoorDash or Uber and making their own schedule, making the same amount of money based on how and when they want to work. It's hard to compete with that, and the only way to really compete with that is, you know, benefits and wages. <laughs> so these yeah. things are going to keep happening. I mean, you can go. Starbucks is hard up for people. They're they're paying twenty something dollars an hour to to pour coffee. Um, not to minimize what those baristas do, but that's what they're doing. Um, so how do you as a CRA compete with that? You, you can't unless you raise your wages. Yeah, the, the lower wages um, that we heard through our analysis re really surprised me. Um, you know, I, I heard a lot of people still on the $16 an hour range um, for their staff. And, and I think, a, a, you know, a real misnomer and ir irony in our space is, you know, we're selling buttoned up accuracy, competency, quality, technology. I mean, look at a look at a trade show booth at a Sherm show or an HR tech show next week. And the 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 billboard, you know, the face that our organization presents to the public. But a lot of our workforce is still low paid. And and I might even call, depending on the position, low skilled. So I understand organizations that drive toward automation. Um, they drive toward different fulfillment models. I, I, I get it. Um, and I, I also have the business owner on the other side of my, my ear right now, who's probably saying, 
yeah, there's just a ceiling on, on what I can pay people. And I think both things can be true at the same time. And as leaders, it's just, it, it's really our problem to solve. And how are we going to solve it? Um, I'm getting a little out of myself, but, you know, are we solving it through investments in technology? Well, that's a big check you're writing right away. Um, am I selling it through just greater retention and higher skilled people by waging, raising my wages? Well, that's a near-term solution, and it's probably less money in the near term, but that could be a steady drip, 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 because if that's your strategy, in 12 months, those dollars might be the same as the size of the check that you would have to write if you're going to solve your problem through technology and automation. Which path is the right one? That answer is really specific to, to different companies. There's no right answer to that. But one of the things that we like doing when we when we have insight like this is sharing that these are things that our competitor or your competitors, but also your colleagues in, in the industry are facing. So in many cases, you're kind of not alone on this. Um, I would I would love to know um, what companies have put, you know, put some data together and you are using data to make decisions like this. Like if you look five years ago and you're paying your your verifiers, you know, for education and employment. $12 an hour and they completed X amount per hour, what that is today at $18 an hour, how many they're completing, if that numbers has changed at all. So if you're getting more out of your, more for your dollar, maybe even less for your dollar, um, that's pretty interesting data to look at. And that's something that you guys should be doing to make, you know, good data-driven decisions. Yeah. Um, a, a, uh, I'll, I'll put you a test. I'll ask you this question really, really quick. Um, we know our industry. We know the business owners and the leaders and the kinds of shops and the tiers. How many people are, you know, are really using data to make decisions and how many are, hey, we had a meeting on Tuesday and there were four of us and we decided this was a good idea. Yep. I mean, we we, we know what people are doing, um, which I guess is good because that's why our phone rings um, yep. sometimes. <laughs> and that's uh, something we do for, that's something we do for, for companies. Exactly. We, don't have, we don't sit there and crunch the data necessarily. We can, uh, but it's just showing them how to make better data-driven decisions. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Um, okay, so we we supplemented our analysis with a real deep dive into some of the publicly traded companies in our space. And for those who, who don't know, uh, Sterling, First Advantage, and Higher Right all went public last year. You know, give or take a couple months in between each other. Um, there, there's two other publicly traded companies in in our space uh, that we certainly look at. Um, and the first is Meridian Link that owns Tazworks. And the second is Equifax, which owns, if we go backwards in time, Appers Insights and Innovative Enterprises and Secure Tech. So that's kind of the, the, you know, the DNA of those two additional companies. Um, a treasure trove of information. Um, some of it is just interesting. Some of it presents, you know, real competitive advantages if, if you want to go and look at it because they're required to, you know, they're publicly traded companies. They can't mess around. They have to tell their investors uh, what they're thinking and what their plans are. And they need to be honest about it because there's financial penalties and jail time if they don't. So um, whether it's 10Ks, investor reports, earnings reports, PowerPoint presentations, we rip through all of this stuff. And so, Jason, if we want to, we want to toggle back here. Um, we saw some really interesting things. And I, I, you know, yesterday I was listening to, you know, Sterling's latest earnings call. Um, Jason, you want to tee up a couple of things that we saw from um, from the larger companies in the space? Um, well, we definitely saw that that they are going to be raising pricing. Uh, that's the the, the crux of, of what I got out of it. Um, they look at the data very, very closely. Um, they have to report their data and, and stuff like that to their investors. 
in a pretty um, distinct way. So, you know, the big companies will be raising pricing and the big companies pretty much expect their uh, vendors to raise <clears throat> pricing on them. Yeah. Um, I, I would say virtually across the board, you know, they speak to the idea that their profits are determined uh, in part based on their supplier costs. And I think that's the, you know, a reasonable statement. Nobody, nobody could disagree with um, what, Many of them say, and I would probably put Sterling at the top of the list in terms of their confidence in being able to do it. They're just going to do what they want to do. And and, and I, I say that with a ton of respect. They're they're just gonna they're gonna march in the direction that they've strategically set out there. And if you kind of look at, you know, the last point there, they're they're building the future they want. They're not sitting around at the bar at a PBSA show talking to a couple colleagues and then saying, well, that sounds like a good idea. I think we're going to do that too. Um, they're, they're building into their, and again, this is insight. This is not judgment, you know, not, um, not speaking ill of anybody. Um, you know, I, I admire anybody that gets to run their business the way that they want to run their business. Um, so specifically what are some of the things that they do and, and that they're disclosing? They have contractual obligations. Um, in many cases, and I'm thinking Sterling specifically, they are building in the right to raise prices. Um, they are saying you are our supplier of choice, or like, you know, they're, they're building in exclusivity. Um, they have carve outs that if their costs rise, they can pass those costs along to consumers. Um, and, and, and they win because they're not afraid to lose. So what do I, what do I mean like that? When you're seven, $800 million as a company, and they're building in and disclosing, let's say, a four to six percent attrition rate. Okay, they're they expect to lose. We do the math: thirty-five million dollars worth of business. But they also expect to sell. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but let's say they expect to sell sixty million dollars in new logos. So it's all one big math equation. So if a larger company says to themselves, yeah, we're going to raise prices 4%. And some people are going to stay and some people are going to leave. But those who stay, we're getting 4% more. And those who leave, well, that stinks. But we're going to go get just about double in new logos through our marketing machine because we have a strong pipeline. Because we have a strong pipeline, we're not afraid of somebody leaving if we want to raise prices by 4%. You know, they just have the ability to do that. And 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 Jason, I'll... I'll you know, I'll, I'll let you weigh in here in a second. So much of it just starts with marketing yeah, and lead generation and a strong sales team. Yeah, it does. And and and, and really, and, and the public companies do take have a keen eye to their own attrition. I mean, they, as a public company, they can't have more than a, I don't know, it's a one and a half to 2% attrition rate. They just can't. Um, but they build in the the new growth um, aside from that to, to make sure that revenue mm -hmm. is continuing to grow every single year. Uh, the things that we that Kevin pulled out of Sterling are, are not unique to Sterling. It's the same with yes. higher right yep. and yep. advantage as well. Um, they have a duty to their shareholders um, to keep margins high and, and and to make money. And at the same time, they have a duty to their customers uh, to keep them happy as well. So it's it's a balance, <clears> but they can they can uh, they can make more mistakes than we can um, and, and try different things than we can. The one thing that Kevin said in the beginning is, you know, they're building the future that they want, and that couldn't be more true. They're not coming. I mean, they're coming to PBSA. They're seeing what's going on out there. They're seeing what their competitors are doing, but they're not they're not shaping their future based on what others are saying. They're shaping the future and looking for everybody else to follow. Uh, and we've seen that time and time again. Um, 
So, you know, that comes, that's a whole nother webinar on innovation uh, and why it's important to innovate from, from even the smallest level. And look at a company like Checker that just, you know, five, six years ago was saying they're going to do it this way and it's different than we all do it. Um, but Checker is now in the hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. So, you know, Checker's valuation is the highest of any company in our space. Any company in, in the space. So, you know, you, you got to admire that uh, in some, in some stand, in circumstances. So, um, I'm going yeah, to switch to the, the um, and, you know, a couple of things before we, yeah, let's, before we pivot off of this, Jason, um, you, you know, really, really the theme. And I said there, Hey, we're operating from, they're operating from a position of strength, but what they're, they're also are, and, and, and there's, there's a real delineation here. Um, these three companies, and then you throw Tazworks owned by Meridian Link and AppWorks now owned by Equifax. These are professional businesses. This is just the product that they sell. And, and, and that's neither right nor wrong, but it is different than I think a lot of people on this call today and a lot that we see at PBSA. You know, so, so a takeaway that we have, and we'll talk more about, I mentioned at the beginning, the how, right? Talk a little bit about the how in the next 15 or 20 minutes, but it, it, it's good for us to recognize that from time to time, we need to take off the background check hat more often and put on the business hat. Because that's what large companies are doing. It's not to say you need to strive to be a six hundred million dollar business. You know, you know, you want to be a six hundred million dollar business, you got to do six hundred million dollar things. And that doesn't work with everybody's lifestyle or business goals, right? But if if you're unhappy with where you're at as a business, whether it's low sales growth or smaller margins or fewer leads than you would like, it, it almost always goes back to the time spent in the business versus time spent on the business. I'll I'll, I'll give a, a a quick story. Um, I, I, I work with a, with a company and they are wonderful people, um, but they are a small single digit million dollar company. And th that's what they're always going to be. Why? Because they love the business. Like they, they love the background check business. They love doing criminal record searches and employment verifications and reference interviews. You know, they, they, they don't want to be out there creating an army of salespeople or creating a marketing machine so they can go from five to 10 to $50 million. They're doing what they want in their business. So it's, it's, it really is a judgment-free zone. You know, if you're a $5 million business and you love everything about your business, that's great. Don't, don't change a thing. But if you're a $5 million business and you want to get to 15 and you're struggling, it's been 10 years and you're not there. It, it, it almost always in the work that, that Jason and I have done, not only as advisors, but having spent 20 plus years in the space, it almost always comes back to um, we're too focused on the on the day to day, week to week, month to month operations of our business and not, you know, strategy operating as business people. Yeah, so totally. I wanted to kind of make that point before we, we pivoted away. Okay. All right. We pivoted. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. A lot of things here, Jason. You and I have done really, really wrong early in our career. You want to you want to run through a few of these? Yeah, hang on a second. I've got my screen um, blocking. Yeah, so a lot of uh, a lot of things that small business owners and 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 people you know newer to business do that they don't realize the effect of is giving things away. Um, and and Kevin, I don't remember who taught us this. It might have been you that said it first, but you know when something's free, it just has no value. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the chest x-ray things that CRA should be doing with themselves and looking at all the things that they provide to their customers that could be chargeable services and, and starting to think through that. Um, it's important that you do it because there's things that you're doing that are costing you money um, and, and, and you should be compensated for. Um, 
the the other thing is making sure that you're charging for different things appropriately. Um, a, a good example that um, I can think of is we used to just mail things for free, uh, mail adverse action letters and stuff like that. And then we started, you know, charging for the stamps. But at the same time, it, 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 there's more cost than just that. You know, it's the, it's the, the person that has to put it together and print it and, and, and the cost of the paper and the ink. And sometimes it's not 45 cents, it's 90 cents. Making sure that those because it's a fifteen-page report, right? Right, and that's extra postage, <laughs> right? Right. So you know, those are the things that you really need to look at every area of your business, especially now as we head into this recession and, and come off this COVID bump. Those are the types of things that that you should be looking at inside of your business to make sure that you're getting. Um, I guess the the best bang for your buck is the wrong term, but you know, making sure that you're doing everything appropriately um, in, in that regard. Yeah, it, it's. Um... And, and, and you're right, Jason, that, that idea of, hey, if you give it away for free, it has no value. You know, that was a drum that I beat. But when did I start beating the drum? Because I did it the wrong way for five years. I just kept running into a brick wall. And, you know, the reason we, we tell this stories is for those of you that may struggle with the same things inside of your business, like it's OK. You know, it, 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 it's OK to have a challenge because there's a there's a good chance that somebody else is struggling with the same thing. It's it's very unlikely that a challenge that you have inside of your business, you're the only person in the industry or the only company that's struggling with it. Um, the the what what you know I know Jason does as well. But what I probably love one of the most things about what we get to do right now is we get to see a lot of these things because we're not a threat to anybody. So we combine the work that we've done inside of a shop and now the work we do now to be able to really overlay and say, hey, you're, you know, kind of one of one of three different ways. Your your challenge is um, a challenge that's unique to you and that's rare. Um, your challenge is um, commonly shared. Here's the way out. Or your com your challenge is the same as everybody else. There's no great marketplace solution. Everybody just deals with it. Like let's move on. Um, trying too hard, fool's gold. Um, I do not believe that clients reward you for making that seventh verification call when it extends into five days. So you'll think things like that. Let's figure out a better way to persuade our client not to be mad at us because we did not get employer number four at Burger King from five years ago when the employee worked there for six months. Like we gotta be good enough to have those conversations and not kind of scared of our of our own shadow. I, I think we're getting better at that as an industry, but there are, there are still companies that I see that will just call and call and call and call and call and call and call and, call and wonder why clients are upset with them. Um, about about turnaround time um yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah I think he also i think it's 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 really um it's it's really important to i know i forgot i was gonna say that's embarrassing but, that's all good. but, but yeah but but we you know we, we think of all of this and we're kind of just riffing on how to run a good business now but we're tying it back to that core concept that we we have to pay our employees more um our data providers are charging us more and we don't have a client base that is universally accepting of just a straight pass along. So in some instances, there's a path, you know, where a client is going to be okay with that. In some, there isn't. And we have to make choices in our business. And is that choice a lower margin or is that choice a, um, you, you know, a, 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 just a, a different approach inside of our business coupled with strong communications approach to win the conversation, which we'll talk about next slide. We don't have to go there right, right now. Um, but the 80-20 rule. 
Yeah, go ahead. You, I remember. You remember? I yeah, yeah, I remember. You know, if you if you look at uh, the way the software industry works and some of the SaaS and the platforms and the marketplace and all that kind of stuff, and you look at how they charge their customers, you know, some of them charge their customers even for tech support um, or, or even for client support. If you're going to go above and beyond and, and not look in your own system to find the answer and you want to make a phone call, those, those are chargeable services. Uh, I'm not advocating that th these are things that CRAs do, but some of those things shouldn't be a surprise to most of your customers because they're doing it with some of their other vendors. Um, sometimes I feel like, and I, I know that the background screening industry is not, is not the software space, but sometimes I feel like we're, uh, we, we're, we're something else, but we still believe we're a service industry. Um, and, and, and we're, we're, we're dancing on the line of some other, uh, some other areas of business that's not the service industry. And that's where I think that we need to charge appropriately. Yeah, it, it, the um, I, I'm I'm fond of saying you know every every business decision. I just kind of have two more points before we pivot, Jay. Um, yeah, I'm fond of saying that you know you come to Water's Edge on something, and you really have three choices when we're communicating with clients. We can accommodate, we can negotiate, we can impose. Okay, accommodate is you know yes, we will we will do that, and maybe we charge for it, maybe we don't. But the answer is yes. A client asks for something. And we do it. Negotiate is is kind of that middle ground. And I think of this when we think of changes to products and do we charge and don't we charge? It's, you know, the, the solution isn't just, or the pitch to a client isn't just, I used to do your letters for free. Now I'm going to charge you. It's more like, hey, you lay out all the reasons like Jason just did on why we can't really continue to do it for free. Do you want to pay $4 for that? Or is it something you're just kind of comfortable doing yourself? Because at the end of the day, it's your obligation. And maybe a client says, oh, yeah, I don't want to pay $4 for it. Yeah, okay. Or yes, I'll give you $4. But in either case, you're not the bad guy. Like you're giving them an option. They're the ones making the choice. Uh, and then that 80-20 rule, I, I think, especially for, 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 we think of the industry as a barbell on the long tail, a lot of really small companies. The 80-20 rule is the hardest in our space. 80% of your clients could be 20% of your profit and vice versa. Um, I, I, I have one client in particular and probably one of the, the least pleasing things about our space is sometimes you, you give advice and somebody chooses to do something else and, and, and that's okay. But, you know, I've, I have one client who um, a bulk of their business is low margin, low dollar amount, um, volunteer work, um, and, and staffing work. And that to me, isn't the path to long-term sustainable success as a business. Um, and they pivoted away, but recently they kind of jumped head in right back into that. Why? Because that's where their marketing generated a lot of their leads. And that's where, you know, it was just comfortable. Like change is hard. I, I get it. Change is hard. It was very comfortable for them. So, you know, the 80, 20 rule, they kind of really struggled with that. And again, if you're happy with it as your business, that's, that's great. But, you know, sometimes there's, there's other opportunities to win. Okay. Um, Jason, you want to take the lead on this? Yeah. So I think that this is something that you, you know, it's not something you're just going to wake up one morning and be like, we're raising prices 5%. Uh, it's something you got to put a lot of thought into. So, you know, what's the first thing I would do? Um, I would I would have some conversations with your A-list clients. Um, you know, have your, your account managers, your strategic account managers, having those conversations, those tough conversations with your clients, kind of gauging their reaction. You know, this is something that we're kicking around. Uh, it's going to come to you in, in a month or so. 
just want to know what you think about that all the way down to actually doing a survey monkey or some sort of survey to all of your clients, you know, um, looking at what their tolerance might be. Um, but, you know, probably the best way is start big. Um, I would, I would take a cross section of your clients, take, you know, a couple of your top clients, a couple of your middle clients, a couple of your smaller clients and slowly raise prices on them, see what kind of reaction you're getting. And then, you know, wash, rinse and repeat uh, with your next batch. Uh, doing yeah. it across the board uh, could, could you know, if, if you're not, if your teams and you specifically are not willing to have those difficult conversations uh, with those clients, I would absolutely do it in tranches. Um, if you're somebody that like maybe the public companies are going to stick by their guns no matter what and is contractually able to do it, uh, I would do it, you know, you could do it that way. But I, th- I like the tranched approach uh, and making sure that you're able to answer the tough questions when they come to you. Yeah, pilot programs are your friends, guys. And I, I, I think the wonderful, you know, I, ironically, right? Because nobody wants to have that conversation. Nobody wants to hear that conversation on the other end. But I think we're living in a really unique space right now because all, all the chatter in the world is about rising wages and quits and inflation. So like you have a built-in excuse you know, if we're going to get a letter or an email or a phone call and it's we're going to raise your prices 6%, are we going to be more comfortable with it in a, you know, a 2% inflationary environment or a 7 or 8% inflationary environment? Because it's in our ecosphere right now, I think it's a much less risky way to do it. You know, we're, we're, we're just kind of in this, in this space here where um, for all of our fear doubt and uncertainty about how those conversations go, we're in an okay place to do it. Um, client risk model. What, what is this? This is something I'm really, really passionate about. And I've, cr- I've created a lot and I'll, I'll explain what it is. And I'm not trying to sell it here, but just kind of what's this concept. I like to look at clients across 10 or 12 different touch points. And then I make a really simple, really analog, low tech effort make a red, yellow, green estimation of, of how they feel. Um, and it doesn't, you know, and, and, and your account, like Jay said, your account managers can kind of do this. Maybe, maybe your leadership team can do this, but it's a, uh, Hey, how do they feel about our quality? Did we just miss a record for them last week and had a big blow up with the VP of HR? Or did we just have an account review a month ago and they saw that we have a 99.9% accurate, blah, blah, blah. Like, did they hug us on the way out of the account review? Or do they rake us over the coals because of our work? And you assign a red, yellow, green to that. Um, another you know, element is, yeah, go, go something, ahead. Something we used to do, which I think worked very well, and I know that a lot of them CRs are doing this, but you have an executive sponsor for your top yeah. 10% of your clients, your top 20% of your clients, your, from your senior VPs to your, to your, your CEO, even your CFO. You know, they got a list of five people that they really – can, can work well with and things get kicked up to the executive sponsor, but it's those executive sponsors that are looking at those reds, yellows, and greens to make sure that there's very few reds, very few yellows and mostly greens. Um, so I would, you know, that's something that I would absolutely recommend is, is starting an executive program like that. And something that we did and it was very, very successful. Yes. Yeah. Right. And in, in addition, you know, building off what Jason said, you know, how's the strength of our day-to-day contact red, yellow, green, right? We have a client support associate talking to the HR associate, you know, that might be green, but the executive level, you know, the person who's going to like or not like a price increase, well, maybe it's red 
because we haven't talked to him in six months, or maybe it's red because the person who signed the paper uh, isn't in that role anymore. And there's somebody new in, and we just, we don't have a relationship with them, you know? So it's not just about, we can't think about the strength of a client relationship as just kind of one thing. It's where within organizations do, do we have those relationships? You know, Jason, I'm sure remembers, we had a, a enterprise level account, probably three quarters of a million dollars. We had this account for 10 years and we had little to no executive level relationship. And it terrified us, terrified us for years. And they just weren't interested in it. They didn't care. They're like, they we're writing checks for hundred grand a month and we don't ever want to talk to you. Yep. The day-to-day contacts were great. Green across the board. No executive level relationships. Jason, myself, nothing. Scared us like crap for 10 years. We kept cashing the checks though. Um, and, and, and it really, it, it, helps you, it helps you figure out and just assess who's about to walk, who's going to stay forever, you know, who, who's in charge. I mentioned the VP of HR. One thing companies um, get wrong a lot is identifying who's in charge. Uh, I have a client that lost a million dollar account a few months ago, which was part of the genesis of us beginning to work together um, because they thought they were in great with the decision maker. And they found out the actual decision maker was two levels up. They had never met that person. And one day they got an email. That's the worst kind of email to get. So, you know, a, a, a healthy level of Fear, uncertainty, and doubt about those client relationships is is really, really important. Doing good work is not good enough. The relationships also have to be strong. Um, and then our last point before we pivot, yeah, Jason has a board meeting at two, so we're going to end a couple minutes early so he can uh, visit the little boys' room. Um, but practice, practice, and power, okay? If you're um, a $5 million shop and you're having the call with your largest company, your $500,000 uh, employer, client, you're probably having that phone call yourself. Okay. But you're not going to do all these yourself. You're going to have your team help you. Okay. Practice, practice, and empower. So what do I mean by empower? Give them enough rope, make sure they know that you trust and are confident in their ability to have the conversation. Not every conversation is going to be lollipops and, and roses. Some of them are going to go a little sideways. But what we very much want, and again, are you communicating this via email? Are you communicating this via phone? Sometimes the phone's going to ring if you do it via email. Trust your team to have these conversations from a position of strength so they can do their best to kind of assuage any concerns or answer any questions. If your team is not confident and they think that you in the back room are going to overrule them, they are going to be timid. They're going to be weak. The client's going to pick up on it. And it's just going to create a lot of mess in your business. And I tell you, you know, not, nothing's worse. Nothing's worse in a client relationship than saying you want to increase prices 5%. And then the client barks at you and you fold. Now you didn't get the money and your team member thinks you don't trust them. So that, that, that is not a recipe for success. So practice, practice, but at the end of the day, show your team that you trust them. Before we okay. get to this, just wanted yeah. to kind of, you know, some other high level things that we gleaned from the report. Um, you know, people are starting to think about outsourcing more um, companies. You know, some of the companies we surveyed are already doing it and others are thinking about it. Um, some companies are considering buying more product. Uh, from the same vendor so they can get better price, uh, have less price increases and just get more bang for their buck out of, of more uh, volume to one vendor. Um, we're seeing fulfillment models change for sure. 
Um, and I think the last thing um, that I got out of it is um, technology costs are going up across the board equally. So you're, it's not something you're just going to see from you know one supplier, not the other. It's a true cost. Um, lastly, uh, somebody asked a question in the Q&A uh, about um, considering inflation, what should their goal be of, of profit margins? That's really hard to answer for somebody. Um, but what I can tell you is if you take, you know, obviously your, your look at your P&L and your balance sheet, and you want to make sure that you're obviously making enough money to service your, your customers um, and, and make a profit uh, and, and do all the things as a business that you need to do to make sure that you're saving for a rainy day. Um, I can't really tell you what your profit margin should be. I know that margins for services typically range around you know, 40 to 50%, but blended in with everything else, um, that's really a, a question that only you can answer for yourself. Kevin, you're on mute. Yeah, I, I saw a question come in, um, and, and I'm glad you 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 took a, a stab at it because I kind of feel the same way. Um, some some shops just the product mix is is radically different. Some shops um, are extremely heavy, and I'm thinking of two specifically as I as I give this answer. Um, one shop is extremely verifications heavy. Um, their margins are going to be lower. Verifications are just hard, whether you're doing it internally, whether you're using third parties, whether some of the additional software providers out there are helping you. It's it's tough to make a ton of money on references and employment verifications. Uh, one shop I know is extremely criminal heavy, probably 90% of their revenue. They're a large company, right? But they just don't do much with verifications. It's not their, it's not their, their cup of tea. Um, their margin is going to be a lot different. Uh, Criminal is a, a higher margin product. So the blend Jason matters uh, mentioned is important. And uh, that came in as an anonymous question, but whomever submitted it, ping us and we'll, we'll give you an honest answer based on what we know about your business. Um, so two things, oh, go ahead. No, no. I mean, two things that uh, we're working on diligently um, that, you know, if you guys are interested in um, learning more about or possibly uh, purchasing, let us know because it'll let it fire under our ass as they actually get it done. <laughs> um, but we are, they're, we they're done. We just customize it for everybody. Right. Right. They're done. Uh, the data is done. Mm -hmm. The analysis is mostly done, uh, but we got to make it look pretty. Um, and uh, you know, we've analyzed over 400 CRAs. We've talked, you know, we looked at their PPP loans. We looked at um, how many employees they have, what platform they're on, um, their growth, anything that's kind of in their wheelhouse. A really good analysis. So that's something we, we we've got. And the other is the same type of project, but we did it on the supply chain, uh, and and hit about 50 to 60 of the top suppliers to the background screening industry. Really, really, really interesting information has come out of those, especially the first one. I, I use that first one. I use the data in that first one. I would say every, almost on a daily every day. basis, every yeah, day. almost on a daily basis when I'm talking to clients or prospective clients or even doing expert witness work, uh, just talking about the size of the industry. Um, so that's something I'm, I'm really excited about bringing home for, for uh, our, our customers. Yeah, and and we went, we wanted to share that for a second, Jason. If you want to go back to that for for a second, um, part of it, you know, I, I wanted to include. Um, it, it's not a focus, obviously. What we want to talk about today, we wanted to talk about wages, inflation, how to make it work inside your business, have those client conversations, right? Uh, part of it, 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 not so much a sales tool, but you know, listen, what Jason talks about, you know, there, there's a twenty-five thousand dollar report and a twenty-five hundred dollar report. So when we talk about customizations, that's what it is. I don't think anybody on here needs $25,000. Um, you know, somebody that's about to make a $5 million investment 
you know, in a, in a CRA, well, maybe they need a $25,000 report. But the reason we, we, we talk about this, and I, and I wanted to share it again, less as a, as a, hey, come buy this from us. But we wanted to, to peel back the curtain a little bit on what informs our thinking. Jason and I do not wake up in the morning and get on a call together and say, hey, I had one phone call and that's what this person said. And then we get on a webinar or stand up at a PBSA show and talk to a couple hundred people and say, this is how it is. We're, we're always reading, studying, looking, analyzing. So, um, and this is fun stuff that we get to do. Um, we really enjoy it, but it also gives us really good insight into kind of the state of the industry. PPP loans, that was fascinating for us, um, gives great insight into size of companies and what their strategic objectives are. You know, you have a, a high revenue company with very low PPP loan. Well, that's because they don't have many employees. What's that say about their technology, their fulfillment models, the products that they're selling? You have conversely some lower margin CRAs with a ton of employees, right? Two different companies. Um, and the supply chain stuff was, was really cool. Um, uh, I remember for the, the last company we did this for, Jason, we kind of built out, you know, a 2021, a 2023, and then a 2025 model. Like, what does the supply chain look at three different snapshots kind of in the future? So that's fun stuff. Like, it, if we see you next week and you want to learn more about it, just, just ask us. Uh, we love geeking out over this stuff. And speaking out, uh, speaking of next week, and we'll give Jason a couple minutes at the little boys' room. Um, <laughs> if, if you land early and you're looking for something to do, you want to watch some football, Stop at the Mountain Pass Sports Lodge at the Gaylord. We'll be there from one to three, just buying drinks for anybody who shows up. Um, Jason, Nick, and I are presenting um, Monday morning, kicking off the show after the um, the opening session on how to identify and connect with the right buyers in our space. We um, collectively we believe a lot of money is left on the table because we try and sell all of our wares to one person. And then we go back to our sales manager and we wonder why that the head of talent acquisition doesn't care about post-hire criminal monitoring. Yep. They shouldn't. Their job's to hire talent. It's the compliance and the risk manager who cares about post-hire monitoring. So we're talking about how to kind of identify and, and open some of those doors. And then lastly, um, you know, Tim Santoni's on the call. Maybe he's a cornhole savant. He's going to knock me down, but um, I'm happy to play cornhole at one of the events on Monday. Um, I'm excited like geeking out over that stuff. I'm excited because many of you I've I've known for God over 25 years, and we I consider some of you family. And my my little baby girl, uh, my 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 daughter is a senior at Boulder, and she's gonna stop by the conference. Oh, will she? A couple of times, <laughs> and everybody gets to meet Hallie. I'm pretty excited about that because, like I said, I've known a lot of you for a very long time. I'm really excited for her to meet everybody. And, then, and she'll see people kind of come up and say hi to you and give you a hug, and she's gonna yeah. be like. This, this is just my dad. Like, why, why is he so special? That's the most uh, exciting thing for me for the conference. For that's sure. that's really cool. That's yeah. really cool. Um, so, so, Jason, we'll get you out of here um, two minutes early. Um, a couple of the questions we we weren't able to get to, but we'll ping uh, those, um, those people who had asked. Um, thanks again. We'll see everybody in a couple of days. Jason, any final thoughts? No, I'm looking forward to seeing everybody again. Kevin, you and I can wrap up later, obviously, but uh, super excited to see everybody again. Obviously, I couldn't be at the last one because I was held up in my hotel room with COVID for the last annual, at least. Um, this one's going to be a rager. Looking forward to it. <laughs> see you in a couple of days. Thanks, everybody. Yeah.